Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hello and welcome to the Champions of Happy podcast, the podcast where I talk to my friends about what makes them happy, what makes them smile, and what brings them joy. Hi everyone, I hope you're well. I'm James, the host of the Champions of Happy podcast. Uh, if you're enjoying the podcast, it would be really great if you could go to iTunes and give us, you know, a five-star review, just so that way the podcast can continue to grow and more people will see it and we can reach out to more people and make more people happy. Now, on this episode of the podcast, I am talking to my friend Ralph about his experience in the fetish and leather community. We also look in the past about his drug and substance abuse addiction. So just so you know, we are going to be talking about some more serious subjects and it's a bit tough to listen to, but I think it's all worthwhile and Ralph is incredibly honest and earnest the entire way through and I'm so happy and honoured that he would feel comfortable enough to share his story. So without further ado, we'll go to the podcast. Thanks so much. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Ralph, hello. Hello, how are you? I'm well, thank you. I, uh, thank you for bearing with me. I know we've had a very stressful 20 minutes or so trying to get this Zoom call to work. The internet gods have not been our, in our favour, so thank you for your patience on that side. Well, it's fine. There's, I don't have anywhere to be. <laughs> <laughs> so in London right now, we are on um, the second lockdown uh, where we're basically not really allowed to go anywhere or do anything. So why Yay. not better get cosy and record a podcast with your friend online? Yeah, if the internet works. If the internet, please keep working, please. It, uh, we are recording <laughs> on the 5th of November, fireworks night, uh, and there are fireworks going off uh, outside my house. I don't know if you can hear them or not. Maybe that will give it a little bit more atmosphere, but um, mm-hmm. just to give you some reference as to when we're recording. Um, so, Ralph, we know each other. I, I, I feel like I'm, I'm interviewing more and more of my friends from the chorus, but we know each other from the London Gay Men's Chorus, which are, uh, we have a, a sh- the ensemble have a show uh, happening in December, apparently, if it still goes ahead. I don't know. little plug um, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. little plug. Book your You're tickets welcome. now. Book your tickets now. Um, I'm trying to think. If you were in the chorus before me, if I joined before you... I joined in January 2016. What was your first show? Uh, my first show would have been History. Oh, okay. So yes. my first show was The Love Show, so I was there first. Uh, and yeah. we are both... We were both in the Section 10 or 2s before you heartlessly abandoned me. I was about to say my balls dropped, so I had to move. <laughs> <laughs> so you're a... Hey, baritone. No, barit- baritone. You're a baritone. I'm yeah. an upper baritone, but I was a lower tenor too. So it's it's same difference. Nice. And so on every episode of the podcast, um, I talk to my friends about um, what makes them happy, what makes them smile and what brings them joy. Uh, with you, we're taking the podcast in a little... It's We're still talking about what makes you happy, but we are taking it onto a little bit more 
serious angle, if you will, uh, and we're going to tell your story. Um, so you run the group Real Clear Fetish. Can you summarise what that is for us, please? Yeah, uh, Real Clear Fetish is uh, a little bit of um, a project I started two and a half years ago. Um, I just got uh, gotten into recovery from drug addiction. As, as we say, it was, it's going to be a slightly more serious podcast and not, not so la-ha-ha. Um, but it, I have been a, um, a fetishist for many, 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 many years. But I got to a point where, like, into lever and kink and all that. And because of my drug addiction was so connected to that, I needed to find a way back in, but in a safe way. Um, so I kind of came up with this idea why don't I create a social group on Facebook called Real Clear Fetish, which is not necessarily an abstinence-based group, but it's more a group that's friendly for people who do recovery or 12-step meetings, but also do, does still want to do kink or just people who choose not to drink or do drugs when they do fetish. So that's that's what it's about. It's It's a safe healthy environment where we can talk about all sorts of things we are going to delve right into that but before we get there i want to go back a bit to understand your story a bit more so mm -hmm. uh, i know where, where are you from ralph i am originally from denmark uh, i've lived in the uk since 2009 um i lived in copenhagen before i moved here i moved here for love uh i'm not in this that relationship anymore but um but I moved here also to try something new. Um, I kind of got into a point where I got to a point where I felt Copenhagen was too small for me in a way. Okay. Uh, I needed to expand my horizons and then London seemed to be an opportunity to go over here and experience life. Have you lived anywhere else in the UK or has it always been London? It's always been London. Well, uh, the first six and a half years I lived in Hertfordshire, so you couldn't really call it London. But we, okay, we, were, so, we, we, we were so eight, <laughs> so we were so. Um, so, yeah, and I've lived in North London now for four and a bit years. Nice. By myself. By yourself. And so I know, I know bits about you the audience won't know. So very much in this podcast, I'm gonna, I am talking about a subject I don't know a lot about. So I'm going to be asking you a lot of questions and I'm going to be saying a lot Ask of things. Away. If I say anything stupid or if I use the wrong terminology or if I say anything wrong, please correct me because I want to learn and I'm sure the audience do too. I, I just want to make sure I don't get this wrong. So I know you have an interest in fetish and kink. Um, mm -hmm. Firstly, what is, is there a difference between fetish and kink? Well, fetish is when you, you have... Yeah. Well, yeah... Um, the explanation between the kink is well you can be into kinky sex but that doesn't necessarily mean you have to have lever or rubber on that's just kinky sex where a fetish is when you fetishize something where you you're just into that specific thing or an array of things so i i'm i categorize myself as a fetish man because i in, i'm into lever and i'm into rubber and all that kind of scenario and i like a bit of kinky sex with that so so correct me if i'm wrong the fetish is your passion and love of 
leather and rubber, but that doesn't necessarily yeah. mean that's sexualized. It's only when it becomes sexualized, it becomes kink. Uh, yeah, right. because a lot of a lot a lot of people who are into leather look at it more as a lifestyle than uh, necessarily just something that goes on in the bedroom. Most leather men will wear leather jeans just for going to the pub or to the restaurant. That's not necessarily a sexual setting. So it's 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 very individual. For me, it's it's very much a social thing. It's something I enjoy wearing because it just heightens. Um, it's it just makes me feel comfortable and and sexy and and stuff but that doesn't necessarily mean it has to be hardcore sex every time i have it on huh? <laughs> there's so much other at the moment i the most i'm wearing my gear is when i have to do first traps on tiktok but <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's also fashion as well I and mean, I've, I've seen oh, yeah. some of your your leather outfits and you, you wear the the red tie and the black shirt and the black waistcoat and i'm like that's very bondage, Vivian Westwood. But I suppose that is, she's been inspired by the kinky fetish never seen in the first place. So I guess they both bounce off each other quite heavily. Oh yeah, I've, I've seen fashion shows inspired by Tom of Finland, who's, who's an ama- amazing uh, um, artist, that, well, from Finland, um, who drew um, very kinky, Lever men at the end of the Second World War and up until the 80s, um, and he moved to America. So he's quite well known in the leather scene, and it's it's kind of what the archetype of a leather man is built on. It's his drawings. Nice. What first drew you to um, that world? Set the scene. Pick the picture. How old are you? Where were you? Loki bar think... and a guy came over in a leather cape and he said, no, oh, cape? I don't, le- I don't know who wears capes. No capes. No, no capes. capes. <laughs> Sorry, leather, leather, uh, biker jacket. Yeah. Um, my earliest memory would be uh, we were at um, kind of a hobby, kind of at a, I was out with my mom to this, conference something where they were selling like all sorts of hoppy stuff not not kinky no 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 let me just explain that when you say hoppy what do you mean hoppy uh um um what do you call it see that's i am i I speak very good english but sometimes words elude me um (laughs) not hippie um shit (laughs) you can edit this out uh uh no, no, no. It's it's you, you go stop. somewhere and there's just all sorts of stands and you can buy stuff and, and so on. A market. Let's call it a market. Sure. You went we, to the market. We, yeah, we went to a market and I spotted these two um, leather men in biker gear. And 12, 13-year-old me was like, Mom, I'm just going to wander around by myself. <laughs> and I I followed these two guys around for like maybe 10 15 minutes and I didn't understand what the attraction was but I was just mesmerized by these two men in this full kit um and also um when I was also the only boy in my year when we had our confirmation Denmark is a Protestant country so when we turn 13 14 we have confirmation confirmation of mm-hmm. faith not that I'm that religious, but it's tradition. Um, I wore a leather waistcoat, <laughs> which is odd for a 13-year-old boy to ask for. How did you... Oh, your parents got you it then? 
Yeah, I asked my mom. I my mom is very cool. She she would never deny me anything. So that's what I asked for, and I got it. Good. Yeah. So I had a, I had my first waistcoat when I was thirteen. Oh wow! That's yeah. Cute. And how did it grow from there then? Well, I how did um, you how did you discover the scene? Um, how did you find your well, community? I think I I came out when I was like. 18 I had my first boyfriend oh my god I was so in love um that kind of helped me come out um but the fetish stuff kind of I put that little bit of bit on the back burner because the and this is not a criticism of the gay friends I made was just a very different group to what my sexual preferences was I was very twinky I wore tank tops, bleached hair, so I look very different now. Hair? Um, yeah, I had hair, yes. <laughs> uh, bleached hair as well. Um, so so when, when I came out around 18, I think I started doing fetish stuff around 21, 22 by going to the local leather club uh, by myself, I might add. Wow. Um, I knew I knew the pre I, I knew the president of the club, uh, so I kind of taken contact. It's like I'm coming down there. Can you show me around? Show me what it's about. Um, and and I will say this: the president of the club and his husband showed me around. Huh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how old were they? How old were you? Uh, well, I was 21, and oh, they must have been in their 30s. Oh, fine. At the time, yeah, yeah, yeah. They definitely. I'm sure they saw this blonde, blue-eyed little virgin (laughs) of sorts walking into the club and thought, "Oh, hello." I was, I was most definitely not a virgin, but uh, (laughs) just not with the fetish stuff. That I was quite green at the time, and and that was kind of my entrance into it, if you could say. When you started, did you did you recognise it as a kink and fetish, or was it just something you liked? Um, I think you develop over time. Um, I don't think I gave it much thought at the time if it was a kink or a fetish. It was just something mm. that excited me. Um, so it, it's it's just developed from there and just slowly grew. And yeah. So you, I, I know you've grown. You grew quite into it because uh, you were the winner of Denmark 2008, Mr. Lever. Mm-hmm. And uh, and Mr. Lever Europe 2008. Yes, I am. Yeah. So they're they're two different competitions. Um. Yeah. Uh, the contest normally you have like um your own country first, which I went and won, and then I got a ticket to go to that year it was hosted in Berlin. Um. So they pay for the trip down there and my stay, Lovely. and. Then I went and won that as well, um, which gave me a ticket to go to IML in Chicago, which is international Mr. Lever, which is like the Miss World of Lever. Um, and I'm not even kidding. If you watch Sandra Bullock and that whole film, Miss Congeniality, you have, you, it's precisely like that, just with muscle men and lever. It's exactly like that. Uh, well, I was going to say, my, my point of reference for this kind of contest is miscongeniality. What actually happens at a Mr. Lever contest? Because surely you're, 
are you judged on the quality of leather you wear, how you wear it, how you style it? Please tell me everything, because I, I, I wish that this I'll, needs to be a reality TV show. I, I'll start with Mr. Europe, because it's slightly different in Europe. In, mm -hmm. in Mr. Europe, you had a, a funny question round. So you get like an odd question of some sort. Mm -hmm. uh, for, for the life of me, I can't remember what it was. Um, and is this all in English as well, or your own language? It was, uh, because it was in Germany, it was a mixture of German and English. Okay. Just so everyone could keep up. Uh, it's normally whoever is hosting, they'll do that language and English as well. But uh, one of the portions in Mr. Europe is you do a, a show or a fantasy round. And it's only allowed to be four minutes. It's a little bit Eurovision. It's very strict on that. My year, my show was four minutes and 20 seconds. Um, I had to cut 20 seconds of my show, which is easy. They wanted to cut the end, but the end was really important. So I had them cut the start of the show, which worked fine. Um, so it's, it's, you do a show, you do free outfits, and there's like a, a jockstrap round instead of bathing suits. Standard. Uh, yeah, most standard. Um, so yeah, that, that's, that's kind of what it is. Um, so there's a lot of quick changes in between the different things you're going to do. Uh, with IML, International Mr. Lever, it's, it's four days of it. It's not just an um, evening. It's four days of it. You um, photo shoot in case you win. Um, you have uh, interviews by nine judges where you're just standing in front of them in a room by yourself with these nine judges and they will grill you because you fill out a document that's maybe like 10 pages long with all sorts of things. Um, it has to be said, I was 24 when I went and did this and I'd never been to America before. Mm. <laughs> yes, yeah, so very intimidating. Um, so to do interviews, um, you do pecs and personality. So you come out in a jockstrap and they do a funny question. Mm -hmm. um i completely bombed on that one which was mortifying i i read the room wrong and i was trying to be funny and it went down like a lead balloon but i imagine like because so you all come into different places from the world you go to america their sense of humor is very different from ours so i imagine that must have been quite difficult though for everyone well i i brought my own a european sense of humor and i thought i could get away with something and i just couldn't and no one's ever said anything to me but i am sure i I should have put my foot in my mouth. Yeah. I'm not going to say what I said, but yeah, it's, it, it's, it, I think it cost me the top 20. Of the you can tell me offline. <laughs> yeah, I can tell you offline. Um, but so you do that. And then after that, they'll announce um, the top 20, which I didn't make. If I'd made the top 20, you'd have to do a speech, which is two minutes long and you can choose whatever subject you want. I watched these speeches and I was so happy I didn't have to do it because my speech was shit. Some of these Americans are passionate. Oh my God. Someone talked about um, the repeal of Ask Don't Tell. Um, someone talked about HIV. Someone talked about baking. Uh, it's all very mixed. Um, but yeah, if you want to understand what IML is about, just watch, watch Miss Congeniality. It's, it's exactly like that, just with more hair sweaty men and leather so yes i feel this mr leather should be a tv show that i would watch because it's 
yeah, it's like you say, it is a Miss Congeniality, Miss World type show, but just with a different aspect of gay community, which is fab. How did it feel when you did win Denmark 2008 and Mr. Levin Europe 2008? Were you expecting it? Not at all. Not at, I, I don't really, I, my, I think maybe it's just because I'm from Denmark and D- Danish people, we kind of get this installed in us that we don't necessarily expect a lot out of life, but if good things come our way, we get pleasantly surprised instead, hmm. um, which is, I still do that. It's so, yeah, I was really pleased um, and, and, and surprised and, and, I'm I, I'm trying to be humble here. Don't uh, be humble. You won two competitions. <laughs> I, no one no. else won Denmark 2008 and Mr. Levy Europe 2008. You did. Scream upon the rooftop. You're a winner, baby. Mm. But it no, it felt amazing. I, I was I was so in shock by it. Um, yeah, it's it's it was something uh, when. My first leather club kind of wanted me to go for the title originally. Then I moved to Copenhagen and joined a new leather club there. And they kind of went, well, you need to do this because let's send a young boy to, to do this contest. Um, he's, he's young and spensty and stuff. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, I had no plans of, of winning. It was just kind of a bonus and an experience. And IML is... is is almost at the verge of such a ridiculous contest, but it was such an experience and I loved it. I loved every minute of it. I, I, one of, one of my best memories and also the saddest memory I have from, from IML was the last day before the final show and before the announcement of the top 20, we kind of had to have like a little pep talk from our, you can call, you would call it like a, um, he was called our den daddy. He was the one making sure we were everywhere where we needed to be and den stuff daddy. like that. Yeah, huh? yeah, yeah. I still, I still talk to him today. Uh-huh. Um, he now, he now manages IML, so huh. he's moved up. Um, but that last day, he kind of gave us this little pep talk, and and this is the last day, and so on. And I was, I was sitting there, and it's like I've been feeling weird all morning, and I just couldn't figure out why am I feeling weird. And I was just like, I'm not gonna cry. I'm not gonna cry. Then we moved to a different room. Then we sat down. We sat like in a circle, and we were like 52 contestants. Um, and I was just like holding it in, and I was just like, why am I so sad? Uh, and then I looked around and then I started looking around and it was like, realized I'm not the only one sitting here holding back. And all of a sudden the floodgates opened. Mm. You've never experienced anything before you've been in a room with a lot of leather men, 54 or 52 contestants, plus all the volunteers, everyone bawling their eyes out because they don't want this to end. Oh. We had to have a half an hour break because of it. It was four. It was, and it was only, but it's such an intense four days. It's constant. You, you're on. It's like, stand there, wait there. The, the mantra was kind of hurry up and wait the wow. whole time. <laughs> oh, well, it was, so it was quite these something. contests, are they, are they yearly or are they so many years apart? 
uh, I, IML is one once a year. Yes, it's normally in May. Of course, right. because of COVID, it's been cancelled this year. It was originally mm -hmm. moved to September, but then got cancelled again. So they moved it to next year, and they've allowed all the title holders from this year to compete next year. Nice. So everything is kind of gone. We just kind of put a break on everything and reset uh -huh. next year. Yeah. And to get like to IML, else. then do you, who do you what do you, you have to win to get IML then? You win your regional title, so you have like Mr. Tennessee or um, this. Trust me, America, they have titles for any everything. Um, they, they will invent a title, I'm sure. Uh, there's even a Mr. Sober, actually. Huh. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe you can go for that in the future. But um, so, so did you get to go there because you won Denmark or did you win there because you won Europe? I went there because of Mr. Europe. That paid my trip. Right. Uh, that was see, the prize. But yeah. there were other members who won various other European contests who were there. Uh, Mr. UK was there. Uh, we actually had two. We had Mr. Eagle and Mr. Hoist. If he, when Eagle used to be a fetish uh, bar here in London, and the Hoist in Vauxhall. Is Hoist a thing anymore? Closed. Or is that closed? Yeah, it's closed. It's closed. It's closed. It's been closed for a couple of years now. Mm, I thought so. Um, and. Speak of thinking, I have Miss Congeniality in my head now. Did you have a, a, was there a song? He's leather and he's fit. He's rough and he's... <laughs> no, there was no, there, there was no song. Jock strap on. Yeah. There, there, there was no song, but uh, just going oh, a little bit be. back in history at IML, the village people has performed at IML. Ah. Yeah, wow. there you go. Um, that is before, way before my time. But they, so there is, there is a lot of campness and a lot of show and so on. Uh, I think one of the interval shows with this uh, man who did puppeteering and ventriloquism with this really old lady. I think she was very well known in the states. I had no idea who she was, but everyone was loving it. Um, the thing with the, there will be title holders in IML that take it really, really serious. And it's serious business. That's normally the sponsored title holders. I think a little bit like the Hunger Games, career volunteers, uh -huh. um, where someone like me, I just showed up. It's like, I'm just going to have a good time. And yeah. if I do well, great. If I don't, fine. It's an experience. Um, I, I kind of, uh, there was a guy who came and got me from the airport. He offered um, very, very lovely. He took me to lunch and showed me around and so on. But he did ask a lot of questions about what I thought about the other contestants and what was my expectations. And I was just like, it's weird he's asking all these questions. And I'm all, I'm all, I've always been, kind of been, well, I can't have an opinion about someone I've never met yeah, out from a visual. Tricky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he was trying to get me to be a little bit shitty. But it turns out this guy was sponsoring free contest, or free contest uh, title holders in the contest. So he was oh. kind of trying to find shit on me, see if I was a nasty person. Ah, uh, yeah. I see. So it's it's some for some it's really really serious business. Um. So I guess my last question for that really is, what do you win if you when you win a contest? Is it a crown, tiara? <laughs> what was uh, it? Someone told me. Uh, when when um, when the guy won the year 
the year I competed, he told me afterwards that the previous title holder gave him a hug on stage and said, congratulations, welcome to the year of no sex. Because as a title holder, it's ironic because as a fetish man, it's, it's kind of about the sex. But as a title holder, you have to be a little bit more respectful and not be fucking around all the time. I mean, that makes sense. But also, ugh. Yeah, a little bit. So You win also, some, you lose a lot. But there's also a little bit like title holders get a little bit of a bad rap that they're a little bit up on their own asses. They're just doing it for the attention. For me, it was just an experience. I didn't do it for attention. I'm naturally a very shy person. Don't say anything, James. Uh, <laughs> you are. I feel like you are a shy person. Yeah, I, fine I, now, anyway. I am very shy, but give me a mic and a stage and I'm fine. Mm. Uh, just not mm. solos. But um, but yeah, it's... it's Yeah, it, when you win, it's, it's difficult with the sex thing, at least. But also, when you win Mr. IML, um, I think when I talked to the guy who won that year... I think he did something on out of the year he had 200 days of title work, 200 days of title, uh, title, title holder work, and the rest so of them like, he had like him off. He took the whole year off. Doing things. Yes, yeah. he took the whole year off. But you win a travel fund, you win quite a lot of sponsorships. Um, it's big business, but you literally have to put everything on hold for a year. Thank you for explaining that to me because it has. I, 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 as soon as I, I knew, I've known for a while that you've been into these contests, and I was like, I want to know more, but I haven't ever had the opportunity to ask you. Now I'm going to trap you on a podcast where you can't not answer my questions. So thank you. Um, oh, you, I, you I, a, you I, a sash, I, right? I have a sash, and it hangs just above me. It's for, such a shame uh, no one can see it on the podcast. Can't see it on a podcast. It looks lovely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it looks it really lovely. Does. But yeah, it, it's um, it's hanging on my wall because I like the attention and it's a conversation start. I mean, rightly so. You're a winner. Why not? I'd be yeah. I'd be wearing it every day. I I do 10k races and sometimes I'll just wear the medal around the house because like yeah, I I want to. Yeah. Oh, I I ran. I didn't even win. I I ran a race. Um, <laughs> ran a race and here's a medal for it. Yeah, yeah. I won mine, thank you very much. Yeah, you won yours. You're a winner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 quite something. Nice, and it's that's a that's a loving memory to look back on, and something you can possibly do again. Would you ever apply for um, Mr. UK level? I've I've considered it. Um, I'm not. For me, it would be more for the platform for uh, have a. Um, reach a wider public when it comes to promoting my sober fetish stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure. I've considered maybe even creating a title for my group um, some somewhere in the future. Um, but that wouldn't be for me. I wouldn't compete. I would be a judge. Yeah. Um, <sighs> You'd be RuPaul. Yes, I would. I would. Uh, I've judged before in contests, so it's fine. I'll I, happily I be that celebrity guest who has no idea what they're talking about, but will make witty remarks. Well, I've I've already I I suppose say groomed uh, a new title holder. Uh, when when I went on holiday, I met um, at a social distance uh, uh, the, one of the current Spanish title holders, oh. and he was going to go for Mister Europe next year. So he had a lot of questions, 
where I'm happy to oblige. I'm happy to give my opinion. I'm happy to give spill guidance and so on. Oh, at, not spill the tea, but more do this, but don't do that. Yeah. But in, in general, just be yourself. That's the best advice you can give to anyone. Just be yourself. It sounds like so much fun. I'd love to just, just watch it. That'd be great. Um, so that's where you've come from. And obviously mm. you've real, sorry, real clear fetish becomes from because you have had addiction problems in the past. Can you, yeah. can we explore that a bit more? Can you tell us yeah, where that began for us? Yeah, it's, it's, I don't want to sound like a cliche, but I moved to London and found drugs. Uh, <laughs> but as many, as many do, as, as many gay men who moved here, dis- discover the party scene and so on. And I'm, do you know what? I'm, I'm not going to be completely horrible and see every all of it was bad and i had a horrible time doing it all the time i was like no some of it was really really fun mm-hmm. um and i'm also a, a big advocate of like if you're going to keep doing it at least try to keep it do it safe um so i'm i'm never i would never go around like you shouldn't do drugs it's bad for you blah blah blah, blah. but I, of course i will never like well this is where you need to go to get them that's not what i'm about but it's more, okay, well, this is my experience. This is what happened to me. And I, I would advise him to be careful. And, and of course, if they feel something is spiraling out of control, then start speaking up about it. Um, but no, I moved here in 2009, uh, very fresh off the boat, if you could say. Um, really, really green-eyed. Um, or blue, blue-eyed, is it blue-eyed? Blue-eyed. Naive. Blue-eyed and bushy, naive. green-eyed and bushy-tailed. Uh, naive. naive. Sure. I was naive yeah. to the whole thing. I think when I came over here, I was so surprised on what, like, the druggy scene was so. It was so normalized that it was just something you do. It's it's what you do to be with with the in kids, if you could say. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember my first house party, and it was just. The, the crowd I was with, um, normally when you go to a house party, there might be a little welcome aperitif, a little glass of shampoos or something. No, no, this was a, a glass mirror on a table with Coke on it. And it just felt like, okay, fine, this is what we do. This is this is what London is about. It's fine. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's, it's some, that it doesn't always become a problem. So I did that for a couple of years, ecstasy, Coke, MDMA, um, so on, and clubbing scene, went to fetish nights like Hard On, which still goes on. Uh, if anyone doesn't know what that is, it's a fetish night um, uh, here in London, um, which also used to be called Fist. <laughs> it's all wow. the good names. Yeah. <laughs> um, and do you know what, what changed for me uh when, when it came to because the drug taking used to be just on the club scene this is where i would do it it wasn't necessarily a massive sex thing for me um it would add a little bit of spice to the bedroom sometimes or if i'd been out clubbing you would go back with someone and we would just do a little bit of drugs and have a little bit of sex and so on but what changed it for me was when grinder and scruff came on the scene that that's where the the tone changed a bit at least for me was all of a sudden you skip the party 
and you went straight to someone's flat to do methadrone, GHB, GBL, crystal meth, whatever, whatever that was there. Um, and that was also fun for a couple of years, but then it's slowly become more and more and more. I think the realization that might be an issue, um, no, I, I, that would be a lie. I didn't realize it was an issue. I was so completely blank about it. My friend asked me whilst we were at the Eagle, and it's like, so Ralph, when was the last time you actually had sober sex, like without drugs? And I just had to give it a think there. And it's like, I think it's approximately five years. For me, that just sounded like, oh, it's the most normal thing in my ears. For him, you should have seen his face. He was horrified because I could not see anything wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was only when I started like having massive calm downs, um, like anxiety, depression, stuff like that. It started being a problem. Masses of amounts going to the clinic because I've caught various things. Um, I'm lucky enough I'm still HIV negative. How I managed to do that, I have no fucking clue. Uh, but I had everything else. My first trying to address it was I'd had sex with a guy and I'd barebacked and I panicked because I got symptoms of gonorrhea. So I went to the clinic and I just, because I was already on a come down from drug taking, I just broke down in the office. I was referred to a psychiatrist whilst there just to talk about my habits. This was in 2015. Uh, the doctor kind of went, and this is not a criticism of the doctor. It's just a question of, of the time. This was in five years ago. And there's so much happened in five years. Um, he kind of went, well, how often do you use? I was like, well, normally Fridays and Saturdays. And he was like, well, that's only the weekends. So it's not so bad. So come again in two months and see how you are. Now that I know better, that is the worst answer you can give to anyone. I, I will put this in block letters. If you feel there's an issue, there is an issue doesn't matter how much you're using, how often you're using. If you feel you are spiraling out of control or you are getting depressed or suicidal from it, you need to stop and think because you, you could have done drugs once and think it's a problem. Mm. And then you need to assess. For me, it was just the weekends, but that was enough for me. But that kind of sent me out for a year more where I didn't address it. Um, I got much more distance with my two partners at the time and our relationship deteriorated because I was moody. I had mood swings. I wasn't sociable. Um, I was hiding stuff from them. Um, At that point I'd started not often, but on occasion I would do injections as well. Crystal meth injections, mainlining Mm -hmm. Um, or the romantic (laughs) Uh, the slang word would be slamming. Uh, most people would know that word if they're on drug scene. That, that to me, that word sounds worse than injecting. That just feels so forceful. For me, it's it was a word that kind of made it le- sound less horrible than it mm-hmm. is. 
Um, so I was just like, well, everyone else is doing it. So do, 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 do. Um, and at that time, because I, you know, my skin tone, I'm really pale and so on. And I bruise really easily. So you can imagine how my arms were looking. So I was hiding that I was getting up at the morning, um, jumping in the shower like this, hiding my arms from my partners. Um, and it, it was not a great time. Were you all, um, so you were in a thruple at the time. Were, you, were your partners I was in a aware of, the, of what you were doing? Were they, they were, were aware were they, of the... Were they also, did they do that kind of thing as well, or as some sort of thing? On, on occasion, but never, never to the extent I was doing it. I was a whole other ball game. Uh, they didn't know about the injections, because um, I, I hid that from them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, to, to be honest, at the end of it, uh, we weren't together as a, as a frapple at the end. Um, that was a, a amical choice. They, they're quite, um, they're a bit older than me, so it was never gonna be forever. But at the end of my me living fr- with them, uh, one of them literally said, "You need to move out because uh, we can't do it anymore. We can't because I kept being the boy who cried wolf. Right. Uh, it's like I don't want to do it anymore. I'm tired of it. I get depressed, and then I hit Thursday. I've forgotten about it, and then I'll go out and do it again. Mm-hmm. I was very messy. Um, so in the start of 2006." yeah 2016 um i was supposed to share a flat with a friend of mine and we'd found the flat we put it down a deposit and um i get a phone call i was actually outside out with dan Mm -hmm. um and i get a phone call from my friend's sister um that my friend had been found in his flat and he died three days earlier. So now, now the champion of happiness is coming out the window no, because it's a very, very serious, very serious. But no, this is subject. important, and it's I, I, the mm. champions of happy. While we we celebrate things that are happy, I don't. I never want anyone to ever hide or lie about anything. So you are a champion for sharing your truth. So please continue, yeah. despite how upset I may be getting. I don't know hundred percent the circumstances, but I I have my theories. What happened with with my friend? Um, so I, I wouldn't want to speculate on a podcast what, what caused his death, but I have mm-hmm. my idea. Um, so the, you would think that would s- stop me from going down a spiral, but of course in grief you do stupid things and my drug taking took speed. I moved into this flat I live in now by myself in April of 2016 and my friend just before i moved in one of my close friends kind of went ralph don't go off the rails now that you have all this space for yourself and i was just like oh that's gonna be fine it's i'm I'm under control it's not an issue Mm. and i joined the london gamers chorus at that time because i thought if i joined the chorus and rehearsals are normally on a monday Surely I won't go mad on the weekends because I have commitments on a Monday. That whole first season, I was a mess. I would go into rehearsals with no sleep from the weekend. Uh, I think the worst one was I went into rehearsal and I had to run out to the bathroom and, well, throw up 
because I was so nauseated from the weekend. Um, that was when we were still at um, the Irish Center. Um, and we come up to my birthday in 2016 and I have the biggest bender I've ever had uh, over four days with no sleep, which ends up with me having psychosis, drug-induced psychosis, where I think my phone has been hacked and people are trying to kill me. And I have my, my that's, this is how my mom finds out I have a drug problem because I call her at two in the morning raving like a lunatic. And I end up having the police out. I end up having an ambulance out and being driven to North Middlesex Hospital. Um, treated like, not treated very well, to be honest. They were very dismissive, the nurses there. Uh, because I was like, look, look, another druggie coming in with psychosis. Oh. I calmed down. They sent me home. There was no psych evaluation, no nothing. They just sent me home. And that was when I started engaging with recovery. Um, one of the chorus members is all, also in recovery. And I reached out to him. And that was where, that was my rock bottom, if you could say. That was when enough is enough. It was not the last time I used, it was not my last psychosis. I had two more hospital visits in the following year. Hmm. Um, but then we come up to the 19th of September, 2017. And I have been clean ever since. It's um, amazing. Mm, so I celebrated three years in September. Oh, well, I'm getting a little bit of emotion myself. Um, it's hard work. It's, it's a constant reminder that so much, it's so much better without. I don't drink, I don't do pubbers, I don't do drugs at all. Um, I haven't had a, a, a drop of alcohol for over three years, which sometimes can be really hard when you're standing in a pub. Mm. Oh, I, imagine. I can't uh, imagine. I can't imagine. No. No. Um, but no, it's the last three years has been probably the most challenging times in my life, but also the most rewarding because I'm so much happier and I understand my head so much more. Um, I've realized I'm a very anxious person. I suffer with a social anxiety. That was one of the things the drug and alcohol would mask when I went out. I don't do big groups I don't know very well. Mm. Um, so lockdown has not necessarily been too bad for me because I kind of, I enjoy my own company now. I didn't before, I hated my own company. Um, so it's 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 been so rewarding um and there's so many things that's been thrown my way where if i'd been using i don't know what i would have done um i think it's it's much year and a half ago i lost my dad and a lot of people were like are oh, you going to be okay and i was just like yeah i'm not going to use on my dad's memory because that's even worse and i'm yeah. not going to come back from that I forget that so it it's it was so rewarding for me to become sober and because my dad was my biggest support he was like when i told him i had a drug addiction his response was well ralph i can't be angry with you because that's not going to help you that was that was the only thing he had to say to say to it 
and I was completely blown away by it because he's very he was very like a little bit middle class a little bit <laughs> straight cut stuff like that wouldn't listen to generic old timers pop music not rock music or anything he was he was very yeah he's just not he's very polar opposite what i am so i was really surprised by his response but he was such a support he never judged me um even when i i was probably my own worst judge um so when he passed it was there was a sense of yeah of course i was really upset and i was really sad um but it was also a sense of i said everything i needed to say and we were in such a good place together as mm. as father and son um there was nothing left unsaid between us which is an amazing feeling and i wouldn't have had that if i was still using so i'm so grateful for that so what um Firstly, thank you for sharing all of that. That was incredible. Um, and you got me a bit emotional. You're a bit emotional. That's totally yeah, a little bit. I, I still get thank a little bit emotional when I talk about my dad because it's not that long ago. It's your dad. Um, of course you do. Yeah, yeah. How did you, when you realised things were an issue, what were, what steps did you take to um, correct my language, but um, to address that? What, what did you do to uh, change those habits? Um, well, joining chorus was was my first step. Um, I've um, done a lot of work on myself. I've engaged with uh, a brilliant charity here in London called London Friend, which is ironically enough founded by one of the founding members of the London Gay Men's Chorus. I did not know that. And London yeah. Friend are lovely. They're a great charity. I, I know them quite well. They are. They are amazing. They do uh, a program called SWAP, which is Structured Weekend Antidote Program, which is kind of like four weekends of really intense soul searching. Soul searching. Um, it's also designed for gay men who are functioning addicts, because most mm -hmm. gay men use drugs, but don't necessarily realize they're addicts, um, and has still have jobs, they still have a home, they're not homeless, uh, of course, that's not always the case. Um, so it is this kind of, instead of going to a day center where you live and, and do rehab for three months, this is just four really intense weekends looking at your sex life, your internalized, internalized homophobia, your self-confidence. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm so grateful for what they've designed and how much it helps. I now... Um, head and one of the volunteers that uh, hosts the aftercare check-in every other week where we meet up and we just sit and chat about whatever they want to chat about what's going on with, the, with them so i've kind of moved on from being a service user to being a provider for other gay men nice and do you as a um you've been sorry was it three years you said sober three years yeah been three years but do you still have to check in yourself do you still talk to people about things or is that oh, absolutely process? absolutely i've i've noticed especially in early lockdown um i noticed that my brain it works this way if i'm stressed or i'm upset or something i'll get what is referred to as using dreams it's a little bit like 
an addict's wet dream because you dream about using drugs. Okay. Um, it sounds absurd, but it, it does happen. Um, and I get them when I'm upset by something or I'm stressed out because this is my way of my brain kind of give me some endorphins or will give him something he likes. Um, so I noticed that in the start of lockdown, but it's not to the extent where I feel at risk of using. Um, I've moved on by beyond that. Now I, I don't feel intrigued by it. Um, of course I have to check in and then sometimes I get, uh, euphoric callbacks where I, a memory pops into my head. Um, and I get like excited by it. Some, some of the memories, some of the vivid memories I have from my using days are still as vivid as the day they happened. So I have to be careful. I don't fall down that rabbit hole of thinking mm. too much about it. Um, but London friend helped me immensely. Um, chorus has helped me. It's, if anyone asked me how I survived and I, why I'm still here, I would always tell, tell them it's the chorus that did it. London Gay Men's Chorus, the support we get in that chorus, no matter what it is, I don't think anyone could bring anything that would shock, shock anyone in the chorus. People would be happy to help. Um, I mean, there have been a few shocking outfits, but... Yeah. Nothing from me, anyway. I've had fabulous outfits. Every um, time. Every time. Mm. And, and I've, I've engaged in recovery groups, like 12 Step and stuff like that. It's not necessarily my story. It works for some. For me, it's been more the opposite. It didn't... I like, I like the meeting people and talking to them, of course. Um, mm. I, I, but I don't really subscribe to it. It's not really my thing. Um, I've done psychotherapy. I've done very honest conversation with my mother. <laughs> um, yeah, and meditation. Um, so many things I've done to self-help myself. Um, yeah. Throughout, throughout all of this, though, you still... It's, it's not tarnished your love and passion for fetish and kink, though, has it? No, no. And you know what? I, I kind of came... The reason going back to to my group the reason i set it up was it's it, i made it kind of purely out of selfish reasons i needed a way back in but in a safe way but i also realized here in europe there is no sober fetish scene it's not it's non-existent mm. um so i all of a sudden saw this gap in the market for some more support when you stop taking drugs, that's the easy bit. It's dealing with the symptoms uh, because dealing with the symptom is easy. Stop taking drugs. But it's the cause, the, the, the stuff that drives you to, to take drugs to feel better about yourself. That is the hard bit. Um, and, and I had to look at a lot of things about myself I didn't like or I didn't understand I don't really, I've also take, I took drugs for almost 10 years. And in those 10 years, I didn't develop emotionally because I was numbing my emotions for this long. So when, when you stop taking drugs, all your emotions come back, but not in an orderly fashion, but in a big jumble and you don't know what to do with it. And that's why it's so hard to quit 
because you get to a point where I can't take this negative voice in my head all the time. I know how to get rid of that. And that's by taking drugs. So that's why it's so hard to get over the first year because you have to deal with everything that goes on in your head. So I'm just totally just, just digesting everything I've learned. I've learned a, a lot um, this evening. So again, I can't thank you enough for being on this podcast to share all your knowledge and your past experiences. And while this is not a typical Champions of Happy episode, you are still a champion of happy and you are the loveliest guy in the world and so sweet and so kind and one of my favourite people in the world. So thank you, Ralph, again for thank sharing you. everything. Um, so we are coming to the end of the podcast, unfortunately, but um, how can people find you? Where can we find all your loveliness and support and kink fetish sexiness? Um, on Twitter I'm on Real Clear Fetish on Twitter uh, it's not a profile I use too much but I'm, I do have a presence on there I'm on Instagram also Real Clear Fetish uh, and if you search Real Clear Fetish on Facebook you can find the group uh, I also have an email which is realclearfetish at gmail.com uh, so if anyone is listening to this and they recognize some of the patterns or behaviors or or maybe knows someone that that you think is struggling drop me an email i'm happy to share my experience um if you want to uh read a little bit i've written two articles uh i'll give you the two links james so you can add mm -hmm. that to the description somewhere 100 uh, where i read i wrote an article about my group and i've written an article about fetish sex after you stop taking drugs um is there anywhere else well i'm also on tiktok on the viking in london uh if you want to see more sexy videos of me um so you're on youtube yeah. are you as well you've been interviewing your own sorry you're completely sorry sorry you're completely right and thank you for reminding me i am also now on youtube where you will find the first season of my own series which is called Real Clear Fetish Talks Real Clear Play, where I've invited prominent men. Yeah, it's a very long title, I know. Real Clear Fetish Talks Real Clear Play. Clear men. Play. Ah, oh, fuck. No, nearly. play. Play. Real Clear Fetish Talks Real Clear Play. Um, and there's eight, eight episodes on there. It was done on Instagram Live, where I've re-edited afterwards, and now they're on YouTube as well for consumption uh, so my last question i suppose ralph is if yeah. you were to which is uh, really naff and stupid but if you were to dress me up in leather or rubber or something what would you how would you what do you see me wearing because mm, nice as you can probably what... imagine i'm not probably the most kinkiest of people in the world oh <laughs> uh, i think a nice harness uh, a waistcoat um maybe a nice thick collar <laughs> around your neck a uh, pair of chaps and a pair of big boots okay let's make it happen maybe next yeah. year when we can see each other again in real life <laughs> yeah we'll do, we'll do a special um, we'll do a reunion uh, an all-stars yeah, episode of uh, champions happy thank you again ralph for everything you've told us today and sharing so honestly absolutely. and earnestly about everything um you raise my heart, you make me smile, and you're, you are a champion. You truly are, as corny as that sounds. I'm going to keep saying it. You're a champion. Um, so we'll say goodbye. Thank you very much, and uh, goodbye. 
Goodbye. Thank you very much for having me on. <laughs>
ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.